Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The nail in the coffin! Hey, welcome to The Nail in the Coffin, part of the world-famous Evergreen Podcast Network. It's been a while for us, but uh, I'm still Tom Valentino, and uh, he's still Travis Uly. Trav, uh, how you been, man? Uh, I remain Travis Uly. <laughs> um, good, Matt. Swamped, man. I think we both have been. I know it's been a long time, but um, good to get back together, man. Yeah, life gets in the way, but uh, I was looking forward to doing this. We uh, set this up this week, and... Um. Yeah, I, I told the missus we were going to be doing a podcast, and she was like, "Wow, really?" I'm like, "Yeah, I know. We still uh, we're still doing this thing, so uh, still rocking and rolling." Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it has been a while though. I think the last time you and I did one of these, it was before the football season. Um, so we missed an entire Brown season. Although to borrow a line from Office Space, I wouldn't exactly say uh, I was missing talking about it, Bob. Um. But yeah, I, I I do have to ask you with the Super Bowl being this past Sunday, uh, you're a Browns fan, but you were married to a Bengals fan. Uh, what was that experience like on uh, Sunday night? So yes, my wife, Bengals fan. Um, she's she's relatively stable as a fan. I'll put it that way. Her like experience and how I would have watched it had it been the Browns could not be more different right so throughout the playoffs and during the regular season she can't watch a ton of Bengals games because they're not constantly on in cleveland right so she watched games when she could and during the playoffs she watched the games passively but didn't have like super high expectations um so even like when they beat the chiefs to go to the super bowl she still was like excited but tempered and even during the game on sunday she was relatively even keeled and tempered and truthfully like i list i've spent the last like i don't know two weeks listening to like people in cleveland who are sort of in two camps and i think the two camps are kind of honestly both sort of a little off there's those who just hate cincinnati for whatever reason um and so they hate the Bengals. um and then there's people who think like and i think this is a much smaller contingent particularly of browns fans there's those who think like the Bengals winning would have been like a title for Ohio, which I don't agree with either. Um, I personally just looked at it as though, okay, my wife likes this team. I'm going to be very jealous if her team wins, but also I would rather her team win than this other team that I have zero interest in. My wife has zero interest in, and I have no, like, no feelings towards whatsoever. Right. So I don't hate the Bengals. I honestly feel like, and it's weird because having spent a lot of time living in Columbus, you intermingle with a lot of Bengals fans. And in Columbus, we all kind of root for each other. Like there's no animosity because they've never really been good at the same time. Yeah. So like when the Bengals were decent for a few years there, all the Browns fans were like, okay, now beat the Steelers and Ravens for us. Cause we suck. Right. And so there hasn't been that sort of hatred that I think there is in the actual cities. Um, but it was fun. It, it honestly wasn't that different than watching a normal Super Bowl. Um, a little, I had a little more rooting interest, um, but not that crazy. What I will say, and this is a much bigger concern of mine, is my wife, bless her, gave me permission to like mold our small child into a Browns fan. But there is going to come a time where he gets to pick which team he likes. And they have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. 
and I don't know how the Browns are going to combat that um, mm. in the in the in the near future, right? Like that's that's something that concerns me a great deal. And so yeah, in terms of watching the Super Bowl, not that crazy. Um, was a little disappointed. Like I was rooting for the Bengals. I wanted them to win. Um, was not devastated when they lost. Um, so yeah, it was only slightly more rooting interest than I normally have. Well, the Bengals do have Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. I will tell you who the Browns don't have anymore would be Odell Beckham Jr. <clears throat> and it's funny that you mentioned that there were two camps of fans in Cleveland that both felt like their their views on things were kind of wrong because I kind of have felt like that all week with all of the discussions that I've heard about OBJ. Very strange to me about all of this. Um, there, there was the camp, and we had people over on Sunday night, and as the game ended, I, I was seeing people out. So I didn't hear this directly, but apparently Al Michaels said something about how Cleveland kicked him to the curb. Well, that and, was during the game. Okay, I I, yeah, I missed that. Was that was relatively that was relatively early in the game. It was after he made. It was before he got injured and knocked out, and it was very weird. It was like I remember I was listening and I, and I was in the kitchen, like grabbing something at the time, and I heard it, and I was like, typical me, just like that's not what fucking happened, right? <laughs> it was very much like. The Browns wanted nothing to do with OBJ, and so they just tossed him aside. Yeah, that was and, it was so strange. Like, and, and Al Michaels was not the only guy that I saw do that or say that either. It was there was a, a few social media. I can't, I mean, one of the Instagram, like he was either ESPN, Bleacher Report. Somebody had just like a whole wall of photos that you know, kind of framing this as like this great redemption story. And I'm like, you know, after he was this player that was like discarded. And I was just like, that ain't right. I, I was here. Am I? Am I like misremembering everything? Like, I, I don't think so. But then, yeah, it was. It, it's weird because it, to me, it doesn't feel like something that he's in the Super Bowl. He's there. Yeah. You don't need to like prop him up and make him into like some hero, right? Like, right. He got what he wanted. He's there. He's gonna win a ring. Like. Everything worked for him. The the need to like act like the Browns somehow screwed up and he was this like maligned misunderstood guy when it was something that was completely self inflicted. But that's Just the thing. No okay. But but then there was this other camp of of fans who, you know, are like, you know, F this guy, you know, and you know, just totally down on him and, you know, refusing to acknowledge anything in terms of like why he wanted so badly to get out of town. And it was like really odd when you see Brown's players that were like openly congratulating him on social media. And it's like, man, if I'm seeing that, I to me it's like I think there's a whole lot more that was happening um that that they seem to be so understanding of like why he would want to like basically leave them high and dry in the middle of the season and it's like if they're okay with it you know what does that say about how we should feel about it as fans Yeah like when all that stuff happened I didn't really I mean I I felt like I was more middle of the road than most like the guy wasn't productive here. Whose fault was it? Who knows? He wasn't happy. He wasn't really contributing much. I, I think we know a little bit more now than we might have at the time that that separation happened. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I'd say so. But it's it's still like everyone feels, and this is not exclusive to sports in any way, everyone feels like you have to have like a hard line on one side or the other of like everything. It's like maybe it just didn't work. Yeah, and the Browns clearly did him a favor. The Browns could have screwed him and sent, made him end up, you know, somewhere else. Like they could have put him on waivers. They could have, or whatever. I don't know, whatever sort of work they did to let him pick his destination. Right? They could have stuck. They it could have made that a lot worse than right. they did. Right. Yeah. And they said, you know what? It's not working for you. It's not working for us either. Obviously. So, good luck to you. Right? Like he clearly did a lot of things wrong. But I do think one thing that 
was pretty consistent the whole time he was here was he was a good teammate like his teammates loved him we see that now they still love him right um he showed up he worked hard in practice like he played hard in games like he he never dogged it i didn't think um it just wasn't a good like situation for him and it, and in truth like truth be told it's hard for me to look at a guy who's like him right he's a wide receiver his contract's coming up and he's in an offense that's not really going to let him put up big numbers. I I have to look at him the way I look at anybody else, right? If I was, let's say I'm a salesperson and I'm getting paid based off a commission and I'm getting no leads and our product doesn't work. And at the end of the year, I know that I'm working my ass off and I'm doing like what I'm able to do within this company, but I'm not going to make any money. Am I going to stay there just because, you know, like, no, I need to go and put myself in a position to get what's best for me next. And okay, that's fine. Like, obviously, the way he went about it, not the most professional, not the, the, the most mature way to do it. Um, but it makes me wonder what sort of conversations might have already been happening where he felt like he needed to do that. Yeah. But it, it, truthfully, it doesn't matter at this point, right? He's gone. I don't get why that narrative was invented during the Super Bowl because it's wildly inaccurate i think everybody realizes it. it's like this was a huge story the week that it happened everybody i think everybody i think everybody here realizes it i don't know was it if, not a big national story when it happened it seemed like it i i feel nobody was as invested in it as everybody was here in cleveland and i think it was very easy to reshape that narrative for people who are more casual observers, you know, without a, a vested interest in it. It's like, I also oh, think that's, he's a that's guy how that, that like he's, <clears throat> I think Odell is a guy that he's not old, obviously by any means. I think he's what, 28, 29, something like that. Right. He's been in the league for what, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, There's like, I thought it was wild that like Justin Jefferson was wearing like free OBJ shirt. Like, been in the league for two years. I think there's a lot of like younger guys who really like look up to him and mm-hmm. like love him. Even guys who haven't played with him. Like Justin Jefferson obviously has the LSU connection, but like it seemed like there's a lot of guys, not just even outside of the Browns, that just really like him. He he is this guy that people look up to, um, for whatever reason. So I think he did get a lot of like benefit of the doubt. Um I, I don't know that it's necessarily deserved because um, he didn't, in my opinion, he didn't really carry himself the best on the way out. But I also am not one of these people who just hopes he fails and hates the guy and whatever. Right. Like, yeah, it didn't work. So, be well, it. like, we'll, we'll, move on. we'll see what happens with uh, OBJ next year. I mean, his situation just got a lot more complicated with the injury he suffered during the Super Bowl. And meanwhile, our Browns are going to have a lot of work to do this offseason to get their wide receiver room rectified. And uh, they've certainly got some other issues. And I'm sure as the offseason unfolds here, we'll have plenty more to to talk about there. But shifting gears, let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Last year, I remember they got off to a good start very briefly. I got real excited. And you were very skeptical, wait and see. And obviously, we're much deeper into this season. I, You and I have not talked about the Cavs a whole lot, you know, even outside of uh, doing this. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what are your feelings on uh, on our local basketball team here? Um, Obviously, they're much, much improved. They're vastly exceeding expectations. Um, it feels more legit to me. It feels like a last year. It felt like it was purely. It felt like it was more just like coaching and like system type stuff. It felt kind of gimmicky. Like it didn't feel like it was sustainable because it still didn't feel like they had that much talent. I think you can look at the big three right now, Garland, um, Allen and Mobley and say, okay, those are three really good players. that are going to keep getting better. Um, and so I think it feels more legitimate now. I still think they're probably playing a little bit over their head, but 
the gap between how good they should be and how good they are is much smaller than I think it was last year, right? At least record wise. Um, so I was I was out with some neighbors <clears throat> over the holidays. It was still pretty early in the season, and I I remember specifically. I think it was like a night that they were in Washington and they blew out the Wizards, and we were just starting to kind of get a feel for you know, hey, they, they might really have something going here this year. And, you know, I, I I hate the gatekeeping thing that some fans do. Like, oh, if you aren't, like, you know, riding with this team yeah, when up. they're down, <laughs> then, you know, up. you don't get to enjoy this. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like, if you didn't get into the Cavs for the last three years when they were trotting out some of those lineups that they were trotting out there, I don't blame you. I'm not going to hold that against you, you know, and, and I and really, I think it goes back to something I think I've talked about on here before that you really have an entire generation of fans who have been conditioned that Cavs basketball equals if LeBron's here, they're a title contender. And if LeBron's not here, they're one of the worst teams in the league with no in between. And just to illustrate that point, you know, I think they've got what thirty-five wins right now. So Something they hit like that, yeah. they hit thirty-four wins last week on February 9th. They that's the first time they've won thirty-four games in a full season without LeBron since ninety-seven ninety-eight. So and they've never without LeBron, they have not finished, I think, better than tenth in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, I, I've been saying all along that it is so important for them as a franchise to show that they can stand up without LeBron. And we're going to probably talk about that in a minute here. Um, and just getting to the playoffs and, and, and showing that you can be a functioning NBA franchise, uh, it's such a huge step to take for changing perceptions. But, you know, if, if people were, like, not into this team over the last few years, I don't blame them at all. But I will say that as one of the sickos who was watching a lot of these games when you had half of your roster um, probably no longer in the league, uh, to, to go through that and to, and to stick it out through those games, to see what they're doing this year, especially when I had zero expectations coming into the season, has been immensely rewarding. This has been, I would say for me, probably the most fun regular season for a Cleveland sports team uh, um, up there with the 95 Indians. I would say the 07, or I'm sorry, the uh, 08, 09 Cavs when they won 66 games and had all those blowouts where they, they got to like rest their starters in fourth quarters. And I think they only lost like one or two home games the entire season. They're like doing team pictures on the sidelines. Yeah. 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 Stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, shit, we re we recreated that with our wedding party. Uh, the missus and I at, uh, when we got married that summer, like we did one of those like team photos, uh, for our, like when our wedding party was introduced at, uh, at the reception. Um, and, you know, like last year's bronze team, I think, was up there um, as well. And this team is is just – they're so damn fun. They got so many likable guys with this Cavs squad. And um, it's just – it's great. And I know they've kind of, you know, stumbled a little bit in recent weeks. I think that the defense is kind of regressing to the mean a little bit. Although, I would say I want to wait and see what happens – when we come back after the break for a couple reasons. One, I think you're seeing a lot of these guys looking like they're worn down and they're ready to to have nine days off. Um, so I think that break is going to do them a lot of good for recharging, especially a guy like Evan Mobley, who's never played in the NBA before. And, you know, every rookie goes through this. They hit that rookie wall when it's like, holy shit, how long is this season? <laughs> you know, these guys in college are used to playing what? You know, 30, 40 th games, 30 yeah. or 40 games. Right. And, and you're barely at the halfway point. Right. You know, when you're hit that hit that mark uh, in the NBA season, you know, and you got even more than that if you're going to start talking playoffs. So I think, you know, you're going to see those guys get recharged. So I, I, I have, I'm hopeful on that front. And the other thing, you're going to get Laurie Marketing back, 
not really my favorite signing that they had in the offseason. Um, but, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Our uh, our friend of the show, Justin Rowan, from the, uh, the Chase Down podcast, shared some stats last week showing what the, the Cavs' um, ratings are, you know, like their net rating, offense, defense, net rating, um, when their big three are on the floor with Laurie Markkinen and without. And they're like, I think, 10 points better um, when Markkinen plays. I mean, he makes a huge defense or a, hu- a huge difference in their defense and, and just the way they're structured. It's a really unconventional lineup. And I think that's been one of the things that's so fun is people were looking at the way this roster was put together before the season. It's like, how's this going to work with, with these guys? And, you know, they, where the rest of the league is zigging, they kind of zagged, you know, going big. And, um, you know, you, you get that that interior defense where it's like, okay, you beat one seven-footer. Guess what? There's another one waiting in the paint for you, and there's another one after that. So um, when he comes back, I, I think that's going to help as well. Um, long story short, too late. Uh, I, I'm, I'm over the moon excited for where this team has been so far this year, and I've got good, good vibes uh, heading into the second half. Yeah, no question. I think uh, I'm going to th- – put you in an uncomfortable position maybe i don't actually don't know if it'll be for you but um all during uh for the last three years not to take too far back but the the browns all we've heard for the browns for the for the group of people who love baker and did not like obj all we've heard during that time is look at how good he is when odell's not there the browns are so much better when odell's not there so you got to get rid of him the Cavs are a lot better without Colin Sexton. <laughs> no, and I think I, it's for a lot of the same reason. Like I don't, I don't buy logic. into that. I, I will say, you know, Darius Garland has made a huge leap this year. I mean, it's a short list of guys who go from not making the Rising Stars game in either their first or second year to being an All Star. In, in the big all-star game in year three, he's made, I mean, and it's, you get Kyrie vibes watching him at times. So I saw, we, actually, I saw yesterday, there's only one other person who's ever done it, who that's ever happened to, who mm. made the all-star in week three or in year three, who didn't make either of the rising stars the prior two years. Mm. Um, who was it? Oh, Bam Adebayo. Okay. No one else yeah. in, the other, in the last, like the, the rookie games, I think been happening since 94. And I'm hoping that now that they fixed the the selection process for that game, and it's not disproportionately overloaded with international players, that you know, because that was a big reason why Garland wasn't in that game. So hopefully that becomes a little bit you know less of an issue moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean it. It's still I don't know that he makes a leap that big without you know being put into a position where he was forced to take on the scoring load this year, you know, I mean, in, in the, the, the burden that he's had to carry and how much he's had to have the ball in his hands versus when he is sharing the backcourt with, with Colin Sexton, you know, if he doesn't have to do that, maybe this never happens. Having said that. And I think you've really seen it with, you know, with this team since Ricky Rubio went down my God, boy, that bums me out. Yeah, I love watching that guy for the first that couple sucked. months. It was wild it, how well he fit in. Like, oh, it was he was wild. so fun. He's a perfect and piece. He he really was, and I think he has done so much for them. And it just it sucked the way that injury happened because they had half their team out with COVID, so he ended up having to play like thirty five minutes, and he is not built to be playing that many minutes in a game. And it wasn't until what, like the last two minutes of that game that he blew out his knee. And it's like, he never should have been playing that much to begin with. It was that situation just sucks, but you've seen the way the Cavs have been structured this year, that they need a guy that can be, you know, somebody else that can take the pressure off of, of Garland. Cause now teams are starting to kind of figure out like, Hey, Garland's the real deal. We're going to load up and dare you to beat us with somebody else. You need a bucket getter. You you need a, a, a scorer. You need somebody that can do that. Sexton, I think, really could be a perfect complimentary piece. And I think that's, you know, I mean, that really is the biggest reason they went out and got Karis LeVert 
was to try to, to and I, I would not be shocked at all if coming out of the break or shortly after we start seeing Levert with the starting lineup instead of, especially with the way some of these games have gone recently with the Cavs digging themselves into early holes because they just are kind of sputtering offensively. Um, Isaac Okoro, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot offensively in in terms of scoring. You know, he's just kind of there in, and you need a little bit more out of that position. And I know he, he does a lot of good things defensively, but um, you know, I, I, I do think there's, there's a place for Colin Sexton on this team moving forward. I think that's an interesting I think you're right in terms of what's needed and what he can provide. I just I have a hard time seeing how he handles the premise that he's now going to be the guy that helps take some of the load off of Darius Garland. Well, because he's very much a guy who, and I might be wrong about this. Like this just seems to be sort of the, the persona. He seems to be a guy who wants to be the guy. He wants to have the ball in his hands a lot. He wants kind of everything to run through him. And I don't know if that's his actual mindset. Um, and it, it could be completely unfair for me to even characterize it this way, right? Like I don't know is I don't know who I don't know how he thinks, right? But it seems like the way he has played if that's the way he's comfortable playing, it's a very, in my opinion, it would be a very big shift in mindset to go from being, he thinks he's the guy to now being, you know, let's be honest, Darius Garland's a better player, right? Like if yeah. you have to pick one going forward, you're, you're picking Darius Garland and you're not thinking twice about it. Sure. So you're looking at a guy who was the first round pick just a year before, mm-hmm. and you're saying you need to, change who you are to fit this well the the multi-million dollar question becomes did he play that way prior to his injury because he felt like he had to yeah yeah exactly or, and that's what i'm saying like i don't know if that's his mindset <clears throat> i'm just looking at the way that i've watched him play right he's, he's if if he comes back he cannot play like he did before not if he comes back when he comes back yeah there, there's a way it can work there's play, also right. to your point though there is a way that it could it could not work but i mean the other thing is you know i, I if even if it's not with the Cavs, there's definitely a place for colin sexton in the league and yeah. Oh, yeah, I, for sure. I think he I could yeah. you know if the Cavs want to start consolidating some of their assets here to to go big game hunting in the off season uh, he's probably at the centerpiece of any trade package. Um, yeah, and I think that's sort of what I, sort of what I'm getting at is like, he, for for everything he's good at, like and everything he can bring, it still feels like the way the formula they have right now. Yeah, probably not. Probably not what he's looking for. Honestly, like mm. I wouldn't think if I was a guy who was scoring 20 some points last year that I'm going to want to go to being like the, you know, the second, second threat who comes in to like, give, give the, give the all-star yeah a breather, you know? And, and I would, I don't criticize him for that. Right. If he thinks he can do more good for him, but like, I also think that's the tough sell I can think. Ultimately, this is a June and July question and there's a lot of information yeah. we're going to still get over these next couple months. You know, can the Cavs hang in there? You're starting to see some of these other teams below them in the standings playing better. I mean, Boston, I know uh, they, they've started making a little bit of a push. Um, some of these other teams, I mean, you you know Brooklyn's going to get it together here sooner than later. Um, you know, so, I mean, you're going to have a, a real interesting stretch run here the regular season, and hopefully the Cavs uh, are, are in the playoffs here and not just the play-in. It, I mean, it would, at this point, it would be a real downer for them if they fell into the playoff, into the play-in games, like as a seven or eight seed. Um, you know, especially when a few weeks ago we were trying to look at scenarios where they might even sneak up to like the one if things broke mm-hmm. the right way. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see how they're going to respond to that. And, you know, as these games start getting, you know, a little bit more high stakes, and teams start scheming for them specifically, and they're not looking past the Cavs to whoever the next team is on a on you know somebody's schedule. Because um, you're already seeing it. I mean, there's things that the Cavs were doing earlier in the year that teams have you know. I I think the Warriors were really when they played out in San Francisco, 
last month, that was the first team I, I felt like really stood out to me in terms of scheming uh, against the Cavs. I mean, those lobs that some of, they were throwing, you know, Garland to, to Jared Allen, the Warriors really made a concerted effort to like take those LU passes away and, yeah, and, and take away some of the the game they had the other day against the 76ers. It was very obvious that the 76ers watched the film. Like, right. They read the scouting report. Yeah, they there's there's a book on the Cavs now and it's going to yeah. be on them to to counterpunch that and sure. it'll be yeah. And I and I do think that as Karis LeVert gets more comfortable here and I think having Jared Allen, you know, who he played with in Brooklyn you know, on the team, it, it, and now they get a week off to, you know, get some practices in, uh, I think that's going to really help them. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they, that all shakes out here as we go along. Yeah, but all in all, I mean, obviously, you have to be optimistic and, and like what you've seen so far. Just, yeah, like you said, hope that they, 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 you know, they got to a certain point. Now they need to build upon it, need to adapt as other teams adapt to them and just keep getting better, so... Yeah. It's, it's it's a good spot to be in and it's fun. And I think it's it sort of goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning. Like so many people are used to either go to the NBA finals or be an early lottery pick, right? Right. It's it's a it's a this is the first time in how long since since I was in high school that it's yeah. not one of those two, right? Like right. and so it's it's a wild it's, it's, it's a big shift in mindset and how you can watch it, but you're right. It's a ton of fun being able to just turn on a game, not have expect, not be thinking about, okay, can this team win a title? Yeah. Or is this team garbage? Like it's, it's, a, it's just a complete thing. Like, okay, I think they're good. Let's see how they show up tonight against this good team. Like a few weeks ago, they, they beat Milwaukee relatively handily. I was like, okay, this is fun. I'm just watching. I don't need to think about what's, you know, who are they going to draw in the first round? Like, I can enjoy this game and that's it. Yeah. Um, which we haven't and, been able to do in a long time. And that's the thing I was, I was going to say, you know, th- this, other than when you're actually on the verge of winning a championship, th- this is the year that's more pure fun than just about any other year in a contention window because this is the year where you're for the first time getting out of the cellar. You're not a pushover. You're not a laughing stock anymore. Hey, it's like, Hey, there were no expectations. It's all of a sudden, Hey, we're good. And we had no idea this was coming. It's, it's, it's all gravy right now. Even next year, we're going to go into that season with a certain amount of expectations and, you know, getting back to this point, it's like, Hey, it beats what we've looked at the last few years, but, okay, we've hit this point already. Where can we go from here? And it, it gets harder as, as the expectations. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not quite as fun. I mean, it's, it's great, but um, it's a special spot that they're in right now. So enjoy this season as much as you can. And I'll be honest, like I was almost afraid to even do this podcast and like bring any of this up because we have a history of putting the, the the kibosh on feel good story teams, like the I know kibosh. we did it to the put the kibosh. We put the kibosh. We did it to the Blue Jackets. I think at least once, if not twice, and I think we've had it happen with the Cavs. Um, shit, I think like last year with Ohio State in the uh, NCAA's. You know, yeah. we, we yeah. <laughs> we're like, well, you know, they're going to get past this weekend, and we're starting to line up like Sweet Sixteen matchups, and then they got beat by who? Nope. Oral Roberts. Nope. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, my apologies in advance if, if that happens with our, our beloved Cavs here, but um, yeah, so far so good. Yeah. Uh, sure. What, uh, Hey, what, what are you most looking forward to with all-star weekend? I'll be honest. I, I don't know that I'm really all that interested. Um, I feel like Cleveland's kind of, they've got this down. Um, it's one of the things that for a long time we always heard about Indianapolis. Like they know how to put on these big events. Mm-hmm. And Cleveland's had a lot of this stuff lately, um, with the draft and um what they had the when was the uh, what was the other thing? There was what there was all star game a couple years ago. Yeah, um, Major League Baseball All Star yeah, Game. Baseball NFL game. draft. So they've had some of these things lately. They've kind of 
mastered how to do this. Like not mastered, maybe that's generous. I don't know, but they know how to do it. And it seems like every time they have them, the city comes off looking good. And the people on TV talk about what a great job that Cleveland did and this, that, and the other thing. And that's great. Like, I like seeing that. I like that they've, they've figured out how to do that. Cause a lot of cities don't, they're not good at it. Right. <laughs> like yeah. there, there is something to be said for that. Um, I liked last week when they did the, the draft and LeBron went out of his way to talk about how excited he was to get Darius Garland. It felt a little contrived and forced, but I'll take it. That's um, LeBron. <laughs> but, but what I actually liked even more than that was that Durant was sitting there and you could tell he really likes Darius Garland too. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things we've noticed a lot this year. And like when Garland got named an all-star um, on TNT, Draymond Green was really excited about it. Like guys in the NBA are noticing him and really think like he's a player, like he's yeah. not, you know, and, and so that's, I think that's good validation. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, that's probably the only thing I'm really, really looking forward to is see how, you know, see how he does in his first all-star game. And, and he can't really take anything from all-star game anyways. Right. Like right. they're, they're generally meaningless, but um yeah, I'm glad to see that he got there, and he'll get celebrated a little bit. Jared Allen, too. I felt like he probably should have, although I, I don't know. I can't really say this because I don't watch enough other NBA, but I felt like Jared Allen probably deserved a spot to begin with. Um, but glad he got into at the end um, as a replacement, so he'll get some some airtime as well. And I feel like those guys always, like, when it's your town, I always feel like it's, it's a fun thing, right? It's a team you play for, and you're playing in your home arena. Um, you always get a pretty good reception. That's always, always goes over well. So yeah. that's really the only thing I'm particularly looking forward to. I don't really care that much about like who really cares who wins the all-star game. Right. Right. Um, no, I, I, I will say, I mean, ultimately the game is meaningless, but on the other hand, I remember before LeBron came back, I think it was even like the last year before that was when Kyrie Irving made the all-star game, I think for the first time. And that whole weekend was like the Kyrie Irving coming out party. And I I think he ended up, he might even have like won the MVP of the all-star game. Am, am I, am I right on that? I don't think so. I feel mm. like I would remember that. I might be wrong, but I don't I, remember that happening. Okay. Um, but he had a huge game. He did. You are correct. He yeah. Did. Yeah, he, he did. So that was like the Kyrie Irving coming out party. And like, there's, I think people in Cleveland knew at that point he was pretty special, but I feel like not a lot of people outside of Cleveland really were totally on board yet. So it wasn't, sorry. It wasn't his first one. Okay. His second all-star game. He okay. Won MVP. All right. But it was, you know, that, that was like that performance kind of put him on the stage nationally. And I just, I really hope we get a good showing from the Cavs who are playing this weekend. We get Mobley and Okoro in the Rising Stars game on Friday night. You know, the Cavs have got their trio in uh, the Skills Challenge on Saturday night. And then, you know, like we've been talking about, we got the the two All-Stars on Sunday night. And, you know, I think people in Cleveland are coming around on this team. You know, the energy at these home games is great. I still think, you know, with the Cavs not having any national TV games to this point, I think they finally got flexed into one for March um, against the Raptors. But, you know, I, I think they're really kind of a an unknown commodity outside of Cleveland for the most part. A little bit. I mean, some of the NBA talking heads, you know, Winhurst and, and Bill Simmons has, you know, kind of been on their bandwagon all year. But, you know, casual fans, I don't think totally, you know, recognize that like, Hey, the Cavs might be for real here and it would be really cool to see them show out this weekend. So I've got my fingers crossed that, uh, that, that we get a good, good showing from those guys. And I think they've got a great chance. Yeah. The uh, thing that's always nice too, is if you're one of the hometown guys, even if like, I mean, it's Darius Garland, it's his first all-star game as a young player. They're still going to like the guys on a team are still going to kind of defer to him. They'll let yeah. him, they'll give him chances to like, show off a little bit right and so yeah i mean cool. like, so like 97 when they were here the 97 all-star game was the last time the nba was here how about that by the way we get the the 
NBA 50th anniversary season here when they had the 50 greatest players of all time. And the next time the All-Star game is back, it's for the 75th anniversary. So now we're going to get the 75 we'll greatest get, players of all time. We'll get the 100th in 25 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, just keep it going. Right. <laughs> but, no, I remember, like, that 97 game, Terrell Brandon got a chance to to shine a little bit, and it was a good uh, good night for him. And so, yeah, like what you're saying about getting the hometown guy some looks at, uh, yeah, so hopefully our, our guys will get get some shots there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um. All right, one other, a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Olympics? Are you watching any Olympics? Do you care about the Olympics? I follow more than I watch. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I like to I like to keep track of like certain events, and I'll flip it on every once in a while. Um, I love the outrage over this Russian skater. I find it <laughs> fascinating. Um, the whole, like the whole Russian Olympic committee thing is so bizarre to me. Like the fact that the IOC just decided, yeah, your country can't come here, but really the only punishment is like, they don't play their national anthem when they win. Right. That's pretty much it. Like every athlete's still allowed to compete. They all are like, I know that they're from Russia. Yeah. Like you can put a different letter next to their name. Like the, the IOCs generally just defer and be like, yeah, we're not, we're going to kind of punish you, but not really. Um, and then they come out and act like, you know, they're, they're really bringing the hammer down. It's like, they seem toothless. And then with this girl, this, the spokesman guy that I've been following along, he just seems like clueless. The whole justification makes no sense. And it seems like everybody it seems like everybody's kind of in agreement that there's no way this girl should be able to skate and she's just out there doing it. Yeah. And it's clearly getting to her. And I don't know, like, I don't know how much of it's her fault and how much of it isn't like, I'm not going to sit on here and bash a 15 year old kid. Right. Like, yeah, well she ended up not battling people. So, Oh really? Oh yeah. I did hear that. She finished fourth. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, I'm sure there's a ton of pressure and she's 15. And if someone says, Hey, take this thing, she's probably just going to take it. Right. Like I get that aspect, but at the same time, you're kind of making a mockery of your, your drug testing. If you're letting her compete and they're, but they're pretending like, Oh no, it's fine. Yeah. It's a shame, but eh, whatever, we'll let it go. And then they, they, it's, it's, it's the kind of drama that I love and you only really get it around the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I will be honest. I I have followed almost. I I know the the high level notes of the figure skating disaster buckle, but uh, beyond that, like I I've I, I just I am not as into watching the figure skating to begin with, and I it, like that whole thing. I just have not really been. I, I'm in the exact opposite camp from you, where I've not been really following that at all. Um, any more than you know, basic cursory knowledge, and yeah. I. But I've been watching events every night. Um, I love the downhill skiing. I I don't know what it is that like this year I've gotten super into it versus any of the past Winter Olympics, but it I I've gotten hooked on watching that as much as I can. Um, I had I don't think I ever realized. I mean, they're going like eighty miles an hour down the hill on skis. Yeah, they're not slow. And that, that that is insane to me. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, I hate to say it because it's kind of morbid, but, like, the crashes are wild, man. Oh, yeah. Like, and they are intense. Yeah. Um, and this course has been that they're on, these these slopes that they're on are tough. They, yeah. they, and they don't get, uh, I, I don't think, a, a ton of chances to, you know, go skiing down and scouting everything out. I mean, they get a little bit of a look at it, but you know, it's a lot of, 
you know, having to react in real time. And it's, it's hard. And just the more you watch it and the more you, you see what they're up against it, it's just been fascinating to me. And, um, I like the bobsled as well. That's, that's always been a fun one just cause it's something you just, I don't know. In general, and cool runnings was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's it, be honest. People right. love cool runnings. Yeah. Um, I will say though, I, I do feel like, and I know NBC is probably hamstrung this year because, uh, you know, having to scale back their production there and they've got basically all their announcers except for like a few on-field reporters, so to speak, that are actually in Beijing. Pretty much everybody who's doing play-by-play and analysis is all working from Stanford, Connecticut. And I know like their camera crews and all that, it's it's way scaled back. But I'm hoping that once we get past all this and they can like go to the full level production again in the future. I would like to see them try to do some different things. Like I think about like the bobsled. I think it would be awesome to shoot a a bobsled run with a drone. You know, everything you see with the bobsled, it's always like that camera where it's like position and they come like Mm -hmm. flying by. And then <laughs> yeah. you, know, you switch to another camera and yeah. flying by. It's like NASCAR. Like right. You don't yeah. get any sort of, and it's always been the thing that's kind of like, and I, this is, is somebody who's not like a figure skating fan, but you, you ever notice like you have no clue of like the geography of where they are. Uh, the skaters are on a rink. Like I would love to watch like a, like a figure skating run from like a wide angle just to see how far are they having to skate to like gear up to do one of these crazy triple axles or something like that. Um, you never get a sense of that cause they're always like such a tight shot. It's, I would like to see, I mean, you feel like if you've seen one Olympics, it almost feels like at times you've seen them all. Um, need to spice it up a little bit. Yeah. Do something different. I mean, it, it, I remember when they had to um, have the masters in November, the first year of the pandemic when it got postponed for six months. And when they came back and they had, you know, no fans, there, very few fans or whatever, they were pulling out drone shots. They're doing all this crazy stuff. And it was awesome. It was, you got to see Augusta in a way that you never got to see it before. And I would like to see more broadcasters and in, in sports TV productions kind of take those chances. Maybe they work, maybe they don't, but it just, it feels like there's so many opportunities there. Well, you sold me. All right. I'll take it. I agree. <laughs> it's something I never really thought about. Um, Apparently neither is NBC. And it's weird, though, because the last, um, the Summer Olympics, I don't know if you paid too much attention when it happened, but, like, people were pissed about how hard it was for them to find stuff, like, to watch. Yeah. They like, couldn't get, and I was, like, sitting at my house. I remember I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, on the app, and I'm, like, I'm, like, it's 2020 and you people are still bitching because stuff's on a, a streaming app. Like seriously, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I am. I am such a easy to please customer. Whatever you throw on in prime time on the network, I'm 90% of the time I'm going to watch it. Like there, there were a couple nights, I think this week where whatever they were showing on NBC, I, I, I'm working during the day. I can't really watch any of this stuff during the day, but I'm not somebody who is specifically seeking out certain events where, you know, are certain athletes or anything like that. And I think if you are somebody in that camp, I can definitely see how it would be frustrating. But for me, I'm like, all right, what are you showing me tonight? And there were a couple nights where like main NBC had, you know, skating on or something that I really wasn't interested in watching. I flipped over to USA and they had downhill skiing on. I'm like, all right, I'm watching USA tonight instead. I'm good. Yeah, the thing was like, it was literally... All, everyone just wanted it to be all that NBC showed all day, 24 hours a day, was live Olympics. And like, if it wasn't on NBC, people were pissed. And I'm like, you can literally download the app. It's free. Right. It's got like 10 different screens that tell you what is on each one. And you can literally just pick whatever the hell you want to watch. All you have to do is download an app. That's it. And people were just livid. Like, ah, it's impossible. To f-. I'm like, it took me four seconds to find it. I don't get what you people are complaining about. I think we've, I haven't seen as much of that this time around, but I don't think they're with the exception of the post Super Bowl slot that they had. I I don't think in general, there have been many people watching the Olympics. The, uh, the ratings for this one, I last I saw were not very good. So interesting. 
Fewer fewer people to piss off then, I guess. There you go. Yeah, I guess that's... that's I don't know if that's one of those good problems or not. One, one way to fix that not. problem. Yeah. The only thing worse than pissed off customers is no customers. No customers. Right. Right. So, all right. One more thing I wanted to talk to you about, and then, uh, then we could call it a night here. Give me five minutes. I, I have to talk to you about the crazy thing that happened in the world of uh, professional wrestling this week. This Give it to me because it's five more minutes than I've talked about wrestling in the last six months. Yeah. So, all right. Now, you know, there is, um, you know, we got the WWE, the big heavy of the, the wrestling world forever. And we've got this upstart AEW and Cody Rhodes son of the late Hall of Famer, Dusty Rhodes. Um, he was a longtime WWE employee and was kind of stuck in the, the lower card, saddled with a bunch of terrible storylines by about, I want to say 2016. He's the guy that just said, you know what? I'm, I, I, I'm not going to throw away my career doing this. I can do better going elsewhere. He leaves. Let's his WWE contract run out, doesn't resign, goes and starts wrestling matches for a bunch of other small-time promotions in the U.S., goes overseas to uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, totally re- rebuilds his stock, becomes a, reinvents himself, becomes a, a pretty hot commodity. And somewhere along the line, uh, I want to say around 2018 maybe, the wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer uh said something online to the effect of no wrestling company will ever draw 10,000 people for a, for an event again, other than WWE. They've got such a stranglehold on the market. Nobody else can ever draw 10,000 people. And Cody Rhodes said, you want to bet? And him and a few of these other guys that he had met working in these other promotions got together, pulled their resources, and they put on a show in Chicago Ended up doing it on pay-per-view, sold out this building, got like, I want to say 12, 13,000, did a surprisingly decent uh, um, buy rate on pay-per-view, and it was a really successful venture for them, and it ended up serving as this de facto um, pilot for what became AEW. You know, that was when uh, the Khan family, Tony Khan, um, you know, his father, Shad Khan, owns the Jaguars. so Tony Khan comes in. He's like, I'm going to back this. I'm going to launch this company and I'm, I'm bringing all you guys in. So it was, you know, Tony Khan is, is the money along with, you know, Cody Rhodes. And then you got these other guys, uh, the young bucks, Nick Jackson, Matt Jackson, and, um, uh, Kenny Omega. They sign a bunch of other guys. They launch their show and Cody Rhodes, was really one of the centerpieces and, and to the point where like, you know, when the pandemic hit, he was the guy they sent out to like stand in the ring and address the TV audience in an empty arena. He's the guy that's like running their community relations. He's the guy that's doing a whole lot of work behind the scenes. Well, over the last year, they have signed some big names. They got CM Punk over the summer. They got, uh, you know, in, Daniel Bryan from WWE's back to his real name, Brian Danielson, um, who was just in the WrestleMania main event last spring, you know, and as all this is happening, Cody Rhodes on screen has kind of become this secondary guy again and is kind of, you know, floating out in no man's land. And apparently his contract ran out at the end of December and Word started getting out that he's making these appearances in January working without a contract. And a lot of people were like, okay, this is just, you know, some storyline, no big deal. Well, he had a match. Now, bring this full circle. The first time AEW was on TV, their first episode of Dynamite, he wrestled in the very first match against a young guy named Sammy Guevara. Fast forward to a few weeks ago, they were in Cleveland here at the Wolstein. He, again, was wrestling Sammy Guevara, lost that match, walked out, and it turned out that is the last that we see of him in AEW because that whole deal with him working without a contract was actually legit, and 
he announced this week he is leaving the company and the hot rumor now is that he is probably going back to WWE, which is like from like of all the people. I mean, he was the guy that like burned the boats and was like, you know, the hell with that company. I'm, I'm done with them. And he was the one that went further than anybody else to like actually launch the competition. And now he's the guy that's going to be the first one to defect back from AEW to go to WWE because AEW had a pretty good run of like pulling disgruntled WWE guys in so that like now he's going to be the first guy to go the other way. It just, it's a crazy story, especially with like where WWE is right now, kind of struggling for star power. They got WrestleMania coming up this year. They're struggling to sell tickets for that. They really need kind of a, a, a jolt of excitement. And now this contract squabble has kind of fallen into their laps. And, and here we are. It's wild. I love how into it you are. Um, it's it's great. I like that. And it, 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 AEW puts on a good TV show. They don't get it all right, but I, I far more often than not, I love the stuff <laughs> they do. But the the backstage machinations of all this stuff, the the palace intrigue, always it, it's it's fascinating to me. And this was like the best bit of uh, of that that we've gotten in a really long time. So did. Cody Rhodes not like did he not own any of AEW? No. No, he I mean it's it's fully owned I think by by Tony Khan, but Cody Rhodes was uh, an executive vice president. That's the title that he and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega have had. And those guys have kind of had a lot of lot of autonomy to do what they want to do. Um I think Kenny Omega has like a a, a lot of hand in like what happens with the women's division, uh, Nick and Matt Jackson kind of do their own thing and they got their whole storyline. And um, I think from what I've read, Cody Rhodes, I think early on had a lot more say in, in the booking, you know, the, the writing of, you know, the storylines for the whole promotion. And I think he's kind of gotten pushed aside on a lot of that. And Tony Khan's, kind of taking a more active role in that sort of thing. And he's not just the, uh, the money Mark as uh, people in the business say, and frankly, he's doing a great job with it, you know? So uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just kind of weird that like the guy that really was the centerpiece of making all this happen more than anybody else is the one who felt like ultimately he was kind of being pushed aside and marginalized. And his wife was active with the company as well. She was like, you know, kind of a part-time on-screen performer. And, um, you know, I think her, most of what she's done has been off-screen, like is their, you know, chief brand officer, I think was her title. And, you know, she's out too, although it's, I'm not sure that she's going to sign with WWE as well. From what it sounds like, it might just be him. Cody Rhodes' wife. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's the kind of drama that I feel like is what keeps wrestling interesting. Like, yeah. I'll be honest, like a lot of the stories are always fine and whatever, but the time that I always get most interested in wrestling is when something is happening that's actually real, right? Well, like, that's that's when I drag you into talking about it on here is, is every six or eight months when something like that creeps up and and. So that's your installment of uh, pro wrestling gossip this time. But yeah, like I, I uh, you know, our, our buddy John and I were at that show in Cleveland and, you know, we, we <laughs> best wrestling, best show seats I've ever had for a wrestling show. We were about six rows from the ring on the nice. floor right by the stage. So, yeah, I mean, that match went on and I mean, it was unbelievable. It was this ladder match. These guys are doing insane things. I'm like, I don't know how. They're not broken into a million pieces, but, you know, a match is over. He gets done. Other guys celebrating in the ring. Cody Rhodes comes walking back. He kind of walks off the side of the ramp and around the stage. So he walked right in front of me. I tweeted a picture of it the day the news broke. Like, never would have gathered at that point that, like, watching him, he was, like, walking out for the last time and you'd never see him on AEW TV again. It was really, like, a wow <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, he's, I, I'll be honest, I remember when he was, like, new-ish to, like, 
WWE when he was first on WWE. And he got pretty big there, but he never really did it for me. Like, right. He always felt kind of like, yeah, this guy doesn't have it. Um, I think, and, and honestly, I think that's kind of at times been the way it's been in, in AEW. I think for when he first, you know, struck out on his own, a lot of people got excited by it, but you know, it was cool to see somebody making a, a success for themselves and not just, you know, being made by the WWE machine, so to speak. But I mean, guys got to evolve. Uh, you know, the, kind of like, and, 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 you know, you got to kind of stay with the times and, uh, you know, evolve your character. And he has been really stubborn about wanting to be, uh, you know, he had a very specific vision for what he wants himself to be and, and how he has presented and, you know, at times it's kind of come across like he thinks of himself as a bigger deal on there than than the audience did. And and there was a lot of backlash against him from the audience. And, you know, it I'd say like that match that I saw him at a few weeks ago is a pretty 50-50 split from the crowd. But, I mean, he was supposed to be, you know, I think marginally a good guy and, you know, a little bit of a tweener, I guess, you know, kind of straddling that line face. between good and bad. A face, as they call it in the biz. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he was, you know, but, yeah, it's, it. he I, he just had a kind of a hard time with, like, and I think, like, the way his wife was presented on TV didn't really do them any favors either because a lot of her storylines were just rough. They never really seemed like they could figure out exactly what to do with her kind of all over the place. And it just, it didn't click. And the more they kept trying to like put her on TV, it just, it made things really awkward. And, gotcha. you know, I, I think he got really frustrated by, you know, that, you know, the, the backlash that he was facing. And he sees some of these other guys coming in like a CM Punk getting top dollar more than he was making. And I think he was like, Hey, you know, I'm an executive vice president. I'm one of the cornerstones of this company. I'm the guy that's, you know, at the center of all this pay me like that. And I think Tony Khan was looking at it like, appreciate everything you've done, but, uh, we, we got a number that we think you're at. And if yet that doesn't work for you, then, you know, best of luck. And so I thought he was going to have it all. And now not right. I just, I, I mean, he's as far as I know, he hasn't actually signed with WWE yet, but it sounds like that was where things were heading. And, you know, given the way he left, that just, I mean, you never say never in the wrestling business, but that's just, that's crazy. I mean, that was, I guess they didn't actually do that, but there was always the rumblings that CM Punk would end up going back. And he obviously did not leave in, in what would be considered good terms, but no, um, yeah, it's interesting that he's. I know I saw that he was back in AEW. How's how's that been? Does he still have it? Oh yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, he's he's got probably the most interesting storyline going on right now, um, with a, a kind of a homegrown talent that they've got. This uh, MJF Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who frankly is a scarf. Yes, yeah, he's annoying. That's he's okay. doing he's, his job. Yeah, no, but not. I guess I'm I'm not their target audience, right? Because there's not really any scenario where I would tune into it regularly. But like yeah. a handful of times I've seen him, he's just he's annoying, not in like an entertaining way. In like, yeah. eh, I don't like. He, he is guy. not a cool heel. No. He, he's not a descendant of the NWO. He is. He he takes great pride in in being an actually despised guy on screen. I, it, I enjoy it. It's it's fun. Right. But no, CM Punk, yeah, he, he was a little, they, they kind of had to figure out what to do with him. They, they kind of brought him in a little slowly, gave him just a few one-off matches with some lower card guys just to kind of shake off the rust. But, you know, now that he's kind of gotten his sea legs, so to speak, he's, yeah, yeah, he's he's back he at it. He's back up. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Is his wife coming back? I don't think so. No? No. There's, are they still married? I assume they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, but no, I, I don't. Last I had heard, there's, there's no plans for that. But, um, yeah, he's, he's doing well, and nice. Brian Danielson's uh, been a very entertaining part of the show as well. He was not on when, uh, when they came to Cleveland. Does he still do the yes thing? No. Oh, no, come no, on. We, I love the yes thing. It, it, that's what I'm talking about, though, with Cody Rhodes. How he's not evolving, like Brian Danielson. He is, like you know. 
he he came in and everybody was all excited and he within three months he was finding ways to get people to boo him, which was crazy. But you know he's he's yeah. got this whole this whole shtick now. It's it's great. It makes for great TV. But yeah, nice. Yeah. So good, man. I that's, uh, that's that's my wrestling. And I'll, there, there, I'll talk there's to you your again wrestling update. Yep. Yep. Nice. So. Appreciate you uh, indulging me on that, and uh, just good to be back in the saddle here, man. This is fun. Yeah, it was good catching up, man. I mean, we—it's weird. We like we text a lot, and we like, do. We're constantly talking about what's going on, but like notching out the hour, hour and a half that it takes to talk, we've just not been able to to make it happen. So yeah, it was. I'm glad we were able to get it on. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it's not another five months till we do it again. Yeah. Let's 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 make sure of that. <laughs> All right. As a reminder, you can still subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we're on waitingfornextyear.com as well. Jeez, I had to like think back to the, the whole list here and, and rattle them off. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. We are, of course, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And uh, that is, uh, that's going to do it. So for Travis Yuley, I am Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will catch you again soon. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!